For this episode of our Heads Up podcast, I'm going to be talking about something that all schools are probably seeking to establish, a culture of thinking. You'll also be delighted to hear that it's not just me talking about this, but I'm joined today by a former teacher, a former school leader, uh, an educational researcher and presenter, who's also affiliated with Harvard Graduate School of Education. And his work on the culture of thinking is based upon that work with Harvard and is focused on kind of eight cultural forces that shape the way that we work and, and learn. So I'm really delighted to be joined by Simon Brooks. And what we're going to talk about in this episode is, is what is a, a culture of thinking? How do you ask great questions? What, what happens when it doesn't quite work? And maybe practical ways to, to implement cultures of thinking. I was first introduced to Simon um, in April last year, just after I joined St Edwards here in Cheltenham. And it was great to learn about the work that he's done and, and how he's helped so many students and schools um, throughout his career. And when we talked about remote learning and kind of ensuring that our students' learning continued rather than them being simply occupied, it was really great for me to hear. Um, but it was also kind of thinking about how we could remain a community in those times of remote learning. So I do hope this episode proves helpful to the different groups who've got an interest in education, teachers, leaders, students, parents and governors. So Simon, a slightly long-winded introduction, but welcome to, to Heads Up. And I suppose the, the obvious starting point is, perhaps, would you be able to explain to us what you mean by a culture of thinking? Sure. Well, first of all, Matthew, thank you so much for having me along. It's a delight to be here with you and a wonderful opportunity to share these ideas. And um yeah, I guess I should start just by saying, first of all, not by taking credit too much for these ideas. So my long-standing affiliation with Harvard Project Zero comes via my role as Director of Teaching and Learning at a school in Sydney, Australia called Masada College. And about 14 years ago, I think it was now, I stepped into a role there as Director of Teaching and Learning and was just incredibly fortunate in that the school had developed a research partnership um, with Ron Richard from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And these were the early days, really, of the development of cultures of thinking, pedagogy and practice in Australia. In fact, at that time, there was only one other school in Australia that had ever heard about these ideas. And my role at Masada College essentially became the creation of a culture of thinking. It's a Jewish school to start with, which was a sort of a wonderful context for me because I'm not Jewish. So, so much to learn from being immersed in that community. And also it's what um, in the UK we'd call an all through school in Australia. It's called a K to 12 school. So both a junior and a senior school, which provided so many opportunities to really bed in a culture across all facets and departments and age ranges at the school. So really, in, in answer to your question, what is a culture of thinking? Well, perhaps one way into that is with a question that I use often at many of my workshops when I work with different schools and educators. And the way I often start is just by asking the question, so what do we want the children that we teach to be like when they're adults? It's an interesting question to ask. It needs some time for reflection, I think, for teachers, parents, students alike to think of their answers. And it's interesting that characteristically, in time, similar answers come up. So people say things that we'd like our children to be curious and healthily sceptical and analytical. 
to understand that the world around us is to some extent a construct and to be equipped with the capacity to deconstruct that, to work out how it's manipulating us, to be good listeners, to be people who are accepting of new ideas, open-minded. These are the types of words and phrases that come up a lot. And um, the word that is used at Project Zero to describe these things is, is dispositions, habits of mind, characteristic ways of being. And when we think about cultures of thinking, pedagogy and practice, at its heart, it's about cultivating those dispositions. So rather than thinking about education as being an answer to the question, how do I cover the content? So how do I get through the stuff? Rather, education being a response to the question, how do I flip this a bit? How do I make it about what type of children they're going to become? in consequence of the time that they with me. Ron Richard actually has an interesting framing for those dispositions. It's quite a fascinating way to ponder them. He, he refers to them as the residuals of education. So the idea is that you know, long after the children that we teach have left us and are no longer at the school where we're working. And now dare I say this actually, Matthew, as an English teacher, but maybe they've forgotten exactly what happens in A Midsummer Night's Dream or exactly how surfactant chemistry works or what a surd is in mathematics. So with some of that stuff, some of that content has gone, what type of people have they become? Like what's left over? Those dispositional residuals of education. Our focus is on nurturing and cultivating those. It's really interesting. I, I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was head of RS at St. Columbus College in um, St. Albans and we introduced a critical thinking A-level into RRS lessons. And it was an interesting introduction to, to make. But I, I said to the parents and, and the students, actually, I'm not necessarily concerned with whether you do an exam in this or not. Or even if you do the exam, what grade do you get? I just know that the skills that you'll acquire as a result of this critical thinking programme will stand you in good stead. And you're absolutely right. It's not just about a-levels or even GCSEs in school, we, we started a journey this year with high-performance learning and, and working with Devereux. And the, the whole rationale behind it is, you know, these are qualities, these are competences that will stand you in good stead long after you leave school. I'm a massive advocate of the extended project qualification. And, you know, I would love for every member of our sixth form to do it. And I encourage every member of our sixth form to do it because, the skills and, and, and the knowledge that you acquire by doing things like that stand you in really good stead, but also kind of fuel the passion that you have for, for subjects, for interests, or want you to, to dive in a bit deeper. I got myself in trouble a few years ago. I still maintain this. With, when I teach A-level, and I still do half the A-level for, for the RS here, so I teach the ethics side. And I say to the students, for four terms, I'm going to teach you about ethics. And then for one and a half terms, I'm going to teach you how to pass the exam. And I'm trying to see if I can make it even shorter than a term and a half, to be honest, because I, I think that's the problem, isn't it? We've, we've become so accustomed to, you know, we're doing this just because you're going to, it could be on the exam or this is going to get you the grade. And learning shouldn't be about that. School shouldn't be about that. And what you're talking about fits in nicely with all of those. But I think schools are under so much pressure, aren't they, at the moment to ensure that they're doing that. I, I, I don't talk of a, of a recovery curriculum or loss of learning because I don't think we have. I think we've gained things that we probably never thought we would have. And I think that's the best, well, 
people say I'm too positive. I, I, I am positive in terms of how I how I look upon things. And I think that's the best way to be. But I think in terms of taking it, say, the next step, why do you think a culture of learning matters? Yeah, I mean, there was a, a book released just this year, and it's called The Power of Making Think Invisible by uh, Ron Richard, Mark Church. And a lot of that is drawing on work of teachers and leaders like myself and others around the world have been have been doing in this space. And that works identified a number of what the authors call payoffs. So benefits of creating a culture of thinking. And there are many. There are at the heart of these benefits is the notion of fostering deep learning. So not wanting to have the agenda at schools about just skimming over the surface. Uh, many years ago, Howard Gardner at the Harvard um, Graduate School of Education coined a really quite provocative but interesting phrase. And he said that coverage is the enemy of understanding. So when our priority as schools and as educators get, is getting through the stuff, and that, when that's what drives us on a day-by-day -day basis, then the challenge there is that we might just be like a stone, I guess, skimming over the surface of a pond, but never plumbing the depths, never actually cultivating that rich and deep engagement with the ideas. So fostering deep learning is one uh, benefit, one payoff. A another significant one is cultivating engagement. So having students become young people who are thrilled by and love learning, they, you know, they just can't wait to get to school because rather than being sort of, um, I don't know, grad grindian passive recipients of the transmission model of education, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting that that happens in many classrooms, but, you know, this is the, the antidote. This is the opposite to that. So this is children constructing their own understandings with their teacher there to support them. The other fascinating payoff, the other answer to the question about why we should do this is that, interestingly, some recent research has shown that when we focus our attention not on coverage, not on preparation for examinations, but on developing a culture of thinking, on focusing on the development of these dispositions we've been talking about, the ironic payoff of that is actually we also improve learning when measured, measured by standardized tests. It's yeah. an interesting side effect. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was a study done just last year from the University of Technology in Chile around this, where they, they reviewed about 883, I think it was, business school students who were studying a, a core unit. And they split the group into some who were taught using traditional methods and some who were, who were taught using pedagogies and practices associated with cultures of thinking. And it turns out that that latter group outperformed the first group significantly. And that's not even the goal of cultures of thinking. That's not what it sets out to accomplish. But it's interesting that it also has that, um, that side effect. It's, it's really good to hear you talk about not just the theory behind it, but how it, how it works in practice. There's one aspect of it that I'm really interested in, and perhaps I should have talked to you about it before I, we did this podcast, and that's around the, the art of questioning and how you ask a great question. So... I suppose my question to you is, how do you ask a great question? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, this, this notion is right at the core of the work I do with teachers. And um, it, interestingly, I, I, one of the, the, the side effects of, of my role is this amazing opportunity to get into classrooms. Not so much in the last year, I'll add, with, uh, with COVID, but this opportunity to get into, into classrooms and watch outstanding teachers teach. 
and we have I'm, I'm a massive advocate of our profession and the number of outstanding teachers just amazes me and one of the first things that I uh, the first tells I guess that becomes apparent when I step inside a classroom which which is a culture of thinking is the questioning is the interactions that are taking place between teacher and students and also student to student interactions traditionally in if in this notion of a traditional classroom and I think even that concept could be problematized by the way but in in the traditional classroom it's often described that the, the interactive model that's used at the heart of questioning is what we call QRE QRE so QRE stands for question response evaluate so the teacher asks asks a question often to often to check students have understood something a student will respond so that's the R part and then the E part, the evaluate, is often a judgment on behalf of the teacher, an affirmation as to whether that response is correct or not. So questioning can, can then serve as a way of checking that they have understood or checking that they have acquired the knowledge that the teacher is wishing to impart. The other function I think that questioning sometimes serves, and I know I did this myself so much in my early days as a teacher, and I still find myself falling into this trap now, is, is playing the game, guess what's inside teacher's head. It's such an easy game to play. You know, for instance, if I'm an English teacher and I, you know, I step inside my English classroom and I, I say to my students, so um, folks, why do you think Iago hates Othello so much? What do you think, John? And John gives me his answer and I go, hmm, thanks, John. Uh, Jane, what do you think? And Jane gives her answer and I says, hmm, interesting, let's, uh, Let's try someone else. Mike, what do you think? And Mike gives his answer and I finally say, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's the game of guess what's inside the teacher's head. And, and I sometimes think to myself in, in a profession where we often feel we're time poor, why do we play this game? I mean, it would have been a lot quicker for me just to tell them in the first instance, <laughs> if I'm playing the game of getting them to get say what it is that I want them to say, I could just tell them, but I think we play this game because it feels like we're being interactive. It has the appearance of collaboration and interaction, but it isn't really interactive because I'm not truly interested in what they have to say. I'm just on the hunt for my predetermined answer. So in cultures of thinking, we conceptualize questioning differently. We view questioning as a gift for the recipient. So the student on the end of our question is being asked that question in service of developing their understanding. I have a name for the strategy that we use actually, and I, I tend to call it catch and pass. So the catch phase is when we hear the student. They offer their response to our question. We take a moment, we pause, we process, we frame it back at them. Maybe we paraphrase, maybe we summarize, maybe we check in. Can I just check I've heard you right? You're saying that this? So we show them they're heard, and then we probe. We ask a question to stretch their understanding, to get them thinking. And um, our old favorite, and one that we see right at the heart of cultures of thinking classrooms, is just the question, what makes you say that? So a question that presses for justification, that requires them to do thinking in service of developing their understanding. So yeah, in, in, in summary, I guess, in answer to your question, it's about Thinking differently about our questioning and the purpose it has from checking in to extending thought in service of deep learning.
So I suppose from a, a teacher's point of view, then taking it up to the next level, a lot of what what we're having to do as teachers is to assess our students is to maybe try and shape and improve group culture. And we want to improve thinking and learning. So so how how does this fit in with with that aspect of it? It's actually interesting. Um when you look at the the latin origin the root of the, the the verb to assess is that my my understanding is that it comes from to sit beside that's the origin of that of that word to assess so it's quite interesting that if we were to ask joe blogs i think what their perception of assessment might mean i think people would talk about tests and examinations and quizzes that that's what assessment is but when we think about assessing meaning to sit beside, it brings with it a much more formative connotation. So this process of getting to know our learners. You know, when I, again, when I was a young teacher, I, I think that I thought my role as a teacher was to get what's inside my head into theirs. But now I think that my role as a teacher is less about getting what's inside my head into theirs and more about getting what's inside their heads into mine. And that when I do that, when I make their thinking visible, I can do something with it. So if we return you know, to the, your question and this notion of assessing a culture of thinking and how we do that, well, when we're assessing a culture of thinking, it's not necessarily to check it, <laughs> to, to sort of ensure that it's right, to tick the boxes, but rather to understand that culture. And then if we understand it, we understand how it's shaped, then we can actually do something about it. Oftentimes we think about culture as being this really sort of mysterious, nebulous entity that we can't do much about. Like it shapes us, but we can't shape it. But with cultures of thinking, pedagogy and practice, we have some tools to be able to shape that culture in the way that we want to shape it. And a final question, I'm always going to end on a practical point. In terms of a culture of thinking, what do you think are the steps or, or how does a school implement a culture of thinking? It's a million dollar question. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I wish I had the magic, the magic wand to wave at that. And hey, presto, we have the culture of thinking. So I guess the first place to start with that question is it's a lengthy journey. And actually, that's appropriate. I mean, Professor Helen Timperley, who works out of New Zealand, out of one of the universities there, identified a number of features of what makes for effective professional learning. And she identified it has to be supported from the top. It's got to be collaborative. So it's got to be colleagues and students working together. It's got to challenge teachers' existing perceptions. And it has to take place over a long period of time. So it can't be one hit wonder professional learning. So that's the place to start. And I mean, many of the schools I've been working with now, I've been working with for six, seven years now and still with them on their journey of creating a culture of thinking. So, yeah, it's not something that we can implement. In fact, we're not big fans of the word implement. We'd, ra we'd rather replace the word implementation with the word invitation. So inviting people to be a part of it. And the quick answer to your question about how we do this is that in his research, Ron Richard has identified these eight cultural forces at play that serve to build the culture of a school or a classroom. And those forces are not opt-in, opt-out. Like I can't say, oh, I choose for these cultural forces not to apply. They are at the heart of every single classroom or school or any group of people that get together. 
In short, those cultural forces are expectations, language, modelling, time, opportunities, routines, environment and interactions. And we've spoken already a little about that cultural force of interactions. What cultures of thinking pedagogy then gives us are entry points to shape in the culture in the way that we choose. As we learn about how these forces function, we can use them as levers to build a culture of thinking. And the most practical entry point for people is in the cultural force of routines. So routines are content-free cognitive scaffolds that we can pick up regardless of whether we're teaching five-year-olds or 18-year-olds, whether we're teaching maths, English, music, PE. We can lift up these thinking routines and place them in the context of our classrooms along with some rich content and material and they serve to help children develop particular dispositions, particular habits of mind. They also facilitate rich engagement with the learning. So I'm aware that we're just sort of dipping our toe, Matthew, into, into the sort mm. of pond of this today. But that's what a lot of schools are working with around these ideas is how might these routines play out and work in service of helping them put thinking front and center. You know, we believe that learning is a consequence of thinking. And if we believe that, we've got to find ways to have students thinking all of the time, every lesson. If they're not thinking, they won't be learning. So if I'm spending most of my, le my lesson sharing my expertise, well, there's a good chance I'll be learning um, because I'm having to do a lot of thinking and explanation and framing up as I share those ideas. How do we shift the onus back onto the students? How do I step back so that they can step forward? And we have a whole load of practical strategies that can help make that happen. Listen, Simon, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the, the time to speak with me on, on this really interesting topic. Um, I talked in a, in a recent whole school assembly of the, of the need to question beliefs and, and opinions and shock horror to not even have blind faith. There's a head of a Catholic school saying that. But I believe one of the roles of education is to ensure our students are as best prepared as they can be to be a success when they leave us. And it's, it, it, we've talked about this, it's more about than just examinations and what you've shared with us today and talked about today is, is I hope, further proof of that. And please do take care, stay safe, and, and thank you very much. And it's something that is of really good, of, of interest to me. And I, I'm sure this will be something that we return to at some point in the future um, and, and kind of dovetails in with probably what a lot of schools are thinking, what a lot of schools would like to do. And let's, let's make sure we return to this at some point. No, oh, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So thanks again for having me. Thank you.